just celebrated baptisms in there this morning. We are uh, starting this new message series titled Dangerous Prayers, and I trust there will be something in it for every one of us, no matter what your background is, no matter what you come in believing here today, regardless of your personal faith convictions, I think most of us desire and trust that there is something bigger than us out there, and we long to connect. We recognize that by ourselves, we don't have all that it takes. Isn't that right? And so we're going to endeavor upon this message series together titled Dangerous Prayers, in which we look at a number of stories in the Bible, a number of characters in the Bible, and the way they prayed. And as we look at the way they prayed, we'll learn something more about the character of God and how we are invited in sometimes surprising ways to pray with boldness to our God, to ask questions to struggle with God at times, and we'll do that over the course of these weeks as we learn to pray a little bit more deeply together. Today's message is titled simply, God, I need you now. God, I need you now. One of my mentors is a man named Dallas Willard. I never met Dr. Willard, unfortunately, but he is one of my dead mentors and an author of many books that I have just devoured. There are very few authors that I'll read the same book twice, but I've read a number of his books two or three times. And he's just this godly, rich, spiritual man, spiritual riches, not physical, material riches, but spiritual riches. And uh, he has a, a spiritual level of depth that's very unique in the 21st century. Well, he passed away seven, eight years ago from cancer. And he um, does have a mentor, a number of mentors here, a number of mentees on earth that he really got to know well, and one of them wrote a book about Dallas Willard called Soul Keeping, and his name is John Ortberg, and Ortberg is a pastor of a large church in Northern California, and as Willard was dying, um, Ortberg was starting to take over this large church for the very first time, and he had a lot of history in Christian ministry, but he felt like he was moving into a new season that was beyond him, and the world is changing so rapidly, and uh, he felt a little bit beyond himself as a pastor in this large, influential church. And so he went to Mr. Willard and he said, uh, Dallas, can you please help me as you look at culture today and as you look at my life, what do I need to do to be an effective pastor in the 21st century? And uh, to that question, I'm like all ears. Because I sometimes feel out of it, beyond my element. Anyone else? When I was asked to, to help lead this church, I was like, this is, this is bigger than me. And it is. So what, what do I need to do as I lead here in the 21st century? And I was all ears low listening to Mr. Willard Rowe respond to John Ortberg in this question. And I had a number of different assumptions about how he would respond and perhaps you're moving into a new season of life with new influence, new opportunities. You're about to have a child, or you're about to have a grandchild, or you're about to move into a season called empty nest. Or perhaps you're moving into a season where your business is starting to thrive in a new way that it never did before. And you have new influence that you didn't have before. Or you have a, 
a new ministry responsibility that's bigger than what you've done before. And you look at the culture around what with your family and you say, I'm not sure that I have what it takes at times. You ever have that feeling? That's a good place to be. It's a really good place to be on a regular basis. And so what would he say in response? And his response to uh, Pastor John Ortberg, who's one of the most effective teachers on the scene today, was this. John, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hmm. That wouldn't have been my top response for pastoral needs in the 21st century. I probably would have responded, you know, what, what are the biggest needs that you're going to be confronted with in this next season, Adrian? Perhaps it's the opioid crisis. Perhaps it's growing alcoholism. Perhaps it's rampant materialism. Perhaps it's uh, the loss of biblical literacy in our culture or the growth in no-fault divorce across our country or rampant racism that has grown so much in our I mean, it could be any number of different things but I wouldn't have listed hurry in my top five and as Ortberg tells the story he furiously took notes on his pad really quickly as Willard told him that and then he said, okay Dallas, tell me what next? I got that one down. What, what, what next? What else? And he said to him, John, there is nothing else. You need to do this. If you're going to be an effective pastor, if you're going to be an effective in ministry, if you're going to be effective in this next stage of opportunity in this culture, the way it is organized, you must do this. You must, John, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Mm. Wow. How? How? Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And we'll see a beautiful example of how and why from Jesus. You'll find the Gospel of Mark after the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark. If you turn over to Luke, you've gone just a little bit too far, but about three quarters of the way through your Bible in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 40 this morning. Just a beautiful passage that gives us a little bit about the how of Jesus' ministry. How he had the energy he did. A fair bit of that is found in this passage. Starting in verse 29 of Mark, chapter 1. As soon as they left the synagogue, that's Jesus and a few of his disciples, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed people of the town. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house of Peter's mother-in-law, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Where have you been, Jesus? Don't you know everyone is calling for you? Get over here. Get to work. 
better ask somebody. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. What a response. Let's go somewhere else where they're not calling for me. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was willing to make him clean. Friends, this is the pattern of Jesus' life. This is kind of the how of Jesus' life. If you read the Gospels carefully, you see this pattern again and again and again. That here he is in the synagogue spending time with his father. Then he goes from the synagogue to caring for Peter's mother-in-law and these throngs of people who are ill and are possessed with all kinds of evil spirits. Then he goes from that back into his father's presence. He gets up very early in the morning to spend time with his father, get away from the crowds. And out of that, he is renewed once again to go back and to care for a man with leprosy. You see, Jesus understood that he needed to get away from people in order to be with God. Jesus also understood that he needed to get away from people in order to actually be with people. Jesus understood that he needed to get away from Twitter and TV, from memes and movies and youth sports. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, my hero. In order to make a difference in this world. He took time away because he understood that while our culture idolizes busyness, Connection with God requires stillness. Say that out loud with me, please. Our culture idolizes busyness, but connection with God requires, requires stillness. There's a psychologist by the name of Carl Jung who has passed away. He was a famous psychologist, not a man of faith, but he is a very famous psychologist that developed all the language that, that we have that uh, turned into the Myers-Briggs personality test and all that we use every day related to introvert and extrovert that came from a man by the name of Carl Jung. And Jung was fond of saying that regardless of where you would land on this personality scale, busyness is not of the devil. Busyness is the devil. Now he's speaking metaphorically, of course. He wasn't a man of faith. But he had the wisdom to understand that when you are in a perpetual state of nonstop busyness, all kinds of bad things happen. It's a dangerous place to be. Psychologists have actually begun to diagnose people with something called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is different than busyness. Busyness is something that we will all experience on a regular basis. We all get busy sometime. Hurry sickness is almost this addictive need to constantly be on the go from one thing to the next thing such that we can never stop and take a breath. We are addicted to that way of life. And many people are living that way today. Let me give you a few ways that you can self-diagnose. Hurry sickness. Number one, you move from one checkout line to the other because it's shorter. 
Number two, you count the cars in front of you at the light, and then you switch lanes. Number three, you multitask so much that you forget what the first task was you were working on. Number four, your third Bible study of the week has caused you to forget what you studied in the first Bible study of your week. This affects us in the spiritual life as well. There is such a thing as spiritual busyness that actually has diminishing returns. Here's just a freebie that is not included in my message though this morning. If you want to grow in your study of the Bible, do one really good Bible study a week. Perhaps study the message again. Otherwise, you'll simply forget the message by Tuesday. I do. This is the nature of our minds in a constantly busy culture. Now, our culture idolizes this. If you ask someone, how's life these days? I noted a couple weeks ago, the expected answer is, we're busy. Well, good for you. God bless you for being busy. That's the expected and rewarded answer today. But we know that it's not healthy. Like when we look in the mirror and we pause for a moment, we see the effect that it has in our family relationships. When we see that we're not having meals together. We see the effect that it has in our friendships. When we have hundreds of connections, but maybe zero deep friendships. We see the effect that it has on our addictions. As we grow in this sense of rage, because of our constant hurry sickness, rage is always right around the corner, and you see that on the road all the time. I am amazed, even in a very small city like Kearney, how people will flip each other off on the road. Rage is just like hair-triggered. And all kinds of other addictions are right around the corner that frequently follow hurry sickness. But in my opinion, the greatest effect of our culture of hurry sickness, of our idolatry of busyness, is to our spiritual life. We are so hurried that God can't even get a word in edgewise with us if he tried. We're so hurried that we do not have time for God himself. Fortunately, across every century, Christians and Jews have had this wonderful two-syllable gift called prayer. Is that one or two syllables? If you're down south, that's two syllables. I lived down south for a while. Prayer. All right, come on back. Come on. Okay. We have this wonderful one-syllable gift called prayer. God's given us this gift to slow us down, to change us. It serves as a governor over the engine that would guide how fast we go through life. It serves as an alignment in our car that would guide the direction of our lives. God in his grace has given us this wonderful gift called prayer. So we're going to endeavor upon this series tell dangerous prayers and let me tell you a few reasons why. We're going to spend 11-12 weeks on prayer. Here's the first reason. Uh, God gives us really good tools for prayer but we've forgotten what those tools are. In our culture prayers become so complex and there have been so many volumes written about prayer. And many people have just failed to go back to the basics of how I would pray. And so we're going to look at a number of tools along the way that will give us some sense of skill with prayer once again. 
Number two, my deep conviction is that the God of the universe chooses to answer prayer. The God of the universe would bend his ear to us, and our prayers go beyond the ceiling. They do not hit the ceiling and fall back to our feet. He chooses to answer prayer. In his sovereign power, he doesn't always answer prayer just the way we want. And I thank my God that he didn't always answer the prayers just the way that I asked, lest I be the most selfish person alive. Okay, he doesn't always answer our prayers for our own good. He doesn't always change our circumstances. But sure enough, he does change us through the gift of prayer. Moreover, sometimes he does explicitly answer our prayers, and we'll see that how he does so with any number of characters in our Bibles. And then finally, we will pause and we will pray together because without solitude and quiet, please hear me now, without solitude and quiet, it is virtually impossible to have a personal relationship with God. Without a regular dose of solitude and quiet, it's almost impossible to have a relationship with God. And so God in his generosity slows us down. And some of us are in that place here today, and you need to allow the weight of what I just said to settle in. Prayer starts in a culture of constant busyness with this request, God, would you please slow me down? God, would you please slow me from hurry sickness would you help me to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? God, here I am. Would you speak? For I, your servant, am listening. Give me ears to hear wonderful things from your word as I open up your word this morning. God, I am available to you. I invite you to slow me down. Jesus did this in verse 35 of our scripture here this morning. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary quiet place maybe it's four or five or six in the morning don't know but he went off to a solitary place after a very long difficult day and he just prayed the thing that shocks me probably more than any other about Jesus ministry is how frequently he does this like he only had three years and perhaps a few months for his entire public ministry and in that very short time he would turn the world upside down he would give instructions for all of life to his disciples and to many others. And yet, he regularly determines that he needs time away from all the crowds, all the busyness, to retreat and be alone with his Father in heaven. And sometimes he does that as he looks up at the night sky. Sometimes he does that on a lakeside. Sometimes he does it on a hillside or a mountainside. But he intentionally gets away to be with God regardless of how much he has to accomplish. He believed that being with God was necessary for being with people. He taught, and he lived that apart from a deep, regular connection with God, we can do nothing. We're, we're toast without that. So what we want to do here in the series, again, is share a number of different tools you can return back to on a regular basis to say, God, would you please slow me down? And I want to take a moment to share with you a few of my tools 
And um, I know a number of you use these same tools. You might have saw some other ones as well, but this is a good time to take notes if you're looking for tools to reinvigorate uh, your prayer life. I've talked in this room before about our prayer chair in our house. This is not it, because I was not willing to give up my prayer chair at home for 12 weeks. But we put another chair up here to be a reminder of this idea that Jesus said, get away. Go into your prayer closet and close the door, he said, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you for what is done in secret. And so in our house, we have this thing called a prayer chair, which means that when mom or dad, or maybe even Elijah and Silas, are in this prayer, that's a meeting. And you're not to interrupt that meeting. Because we have a really important meeting going on every day in this chair. It's a time to be alone with God. Another one of the tools, though, that I use on a regular basis is simply writing in my most important prayers into my Bible in a little note card every few months. And I have six or seven prayers that I am soaking in prayer each and every day, waiting for God to answer those prayers. In my position, I get hundreds of prayer requests. I'm grateful for those prayer requests. But... I pray over these prayer requests in here in a different way. Because these are the prayer requests that I'm really, really bathing and waiting on and trusting in God to answer. Oftentimes for my family or for a need for personal character change in me or for someone that I'm seeking to lead to, the, lead to Christ or whatever it might be. That simple list on a daily basis has really invigorated my prayer life and helped me steer away from lack of focus in prayer over the years. Another one of the things that Susie and I do that we've done different times is have a couple different prayer chests. And inside this prayer chest, well, we open it up and there are many different prayer cards where we'll write down something that we are asking God for and then after God answers that prayer, we will turn it over on the other side and we'll put it in the second prayer chest. And then we go back to this second prayer chest right here and we review God's answers to our prayers on a somewhat regular basis. We haven't been doing that one as much recently as we used to. We probably should get back into it because it invigorates our faith to see those answers to prayer. Other people do so through their journal. They take out a journal and they have something that they're praying through and they dive deep on that each and every day. Some people like to light a candle for someone they are praying for. And there's something about a candle that kind of focuses your energy, doesn't it? focuses your attention. Sometimes I'll light three candles, one for each person in my family as I pray for them, just to focus my attention on them as I pray. Many different tools. One really common tool out there is called ACTS. It's a really simple acronym that you'll see up on the screen, and it stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Very, very simple way. If you say, I don't know how I could pray for 10 minutes, Adrian, Use this. I mean, part of what we do to grow in holiness, remember, is increase the length and the frequency of our quiet times with God. If you increase the length and the frequency of your times with God, you grow to become more like the one that you behold. And one of the ways that you grow in prayer is just using a simple acronym like this. It's not the only one, but it's a very, very simple one. You could do this each morning and take probably 
five, ten minutes to pray through your world. Adoration is just worship. I worship you, I praise you, God, for who you are. See, confession is repentance. I admit to you, God, that in my thoughts, in my words, I have missed the mark. Here's the ways that I've missed the mark. I keep short accounts with God because as we do so, we become more like God. Repentance is not something you do just when you become a Christian. It's a regular part of the Christian life. You confess your sins even on a daily basis. It's wise. It's good for the soul. T is thanksgiving. If adoration is, I praise you, God, for who you are, T, thanksgiving, is I thank you, God, for what you've done. I thank you for what you have given me. I thank you for, for this apartment that I get to live in. I thank you, Lord, for this chair that I get to sit in. I thank you for the health that you have given my body. And S is supplication, which is just a fancy word for request. What is your request? What are your requests for your family members, for your church, for your neighbors, for your own character growth? Again, many different examples could be given, encouraging your life groups to be sharing what are the tools that you use that help keep your prayer life fresh. That's critical that you modify it from time to time in order to keep it fresh. But you share those with each other in your life group. And the key thing is this, you find out what works well for you. God gave you a good personality. Figure out what kind of prayer works well for you. For some people, it's walking. For some people, it's eyes open. For other people, it's eyes closed. For some people, it's a posture on your knees. It doesn't matter. God can hear you if you're doing a handstand. The key is that you consistently come to God with a posture of heart that says, God, I trust in you, and I want your help in this. And then the other key is you do it in a very disciplined manner. Because there is no life change without habit, is there? Somebody say no. No, no, there just isn't. There's no life change without new habits. So if you want character change, you must develop new habits. And we must understand that God is not a cosmic vending machine that we shoot up a little prayer and we push a button and out comes some goodies from God. It ain't that. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. And out of that, out of communion with God, God gives good gifts to people whom he loves. So God, slow me down. And God, make me aware of your presence today. That evening after sunset, verse 32 through verse 34 says, After sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed them all. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Jesus healed many of them. All these people who were sick came, and Jesus healed some of them. He healed many of them. He didn't heal them all. That's important to understand as you pray. He healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. Now, if you look above verse 36, they are seeking for him. They're trying to make him a rock star. They're saying, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Where have you been? And what does he do? He leaves the crowd to get alone with his father. And why does he leave the crowd to get alone with his father? Because he's tired. And he understands that when we're tired, you have two different choices. One is called Netflix, and the other one is called being with God. And one will not refresh you, and the other one will, when it's done habitually. And so habitually, this is part of his life, he gets alone to be with God, and he is refreshed there to go back out into the world well with strength. Friends, one of my daily prayers is this, God, make me aware of you today. As I go, 
I'm asking you to make me aware of your presence today because I will not be any good in any of the roles and responsibilities that you have given me outside of your presence today. God, make me aware. Sometimes I pray that seven or eight times a day. God, I invite you to make me aware of your presence right now. It's kind of like a marriage. It was 15 years ago that I saw my beautiful wife walk down the aisle, and I had tears in my eyes, and I looked into her beautiful almond eyes, and there were tears in her eyes as well. I'm not sure what she was crying about, but I know what I was crying about. <laughs> and thank you, Jesus, she said yes on that day. And we pledged ourselves to each other on that day where we said, I do for you for good. But I am here to tell you that did not give us a great marriage. The strength of our marriage today is not based on a pledge that we made to each other 15 years ago. You know what I'm talking about? The strength of our marriage today is based on the decisions that we make today. And so it is with your relationship with Christ. Far too many people have said or implied, I made a decision for Christ back when I was 20 years old. And then they expect some magical thing to happen, that their lives are transformed when they do basically nothing for ongoing relationship with God today. They expect some kind of magic to happen when they've done nothing to inculcate a vibrant, growing relationship with the king. One of the greatest tragedies, perhaps in my opinion, the number one greatest tragedy in the American church today is this cheap, weak grace where people say this sinner's prayer and they expect it to be done from there that their lives would be totally transformed. They say, I called you my Savior back when I was a teenager. And since that time, after I called you Lord, after I called you King, after I called you leader, I've done as much as I possibly could across 95% of my life to basically eliminate you from my consciousness. And I expect to have a personal relationship with God. And then one day I wake up years maybe decades later, and I say, what is this personal relationship stuff that they're talking about at church all the time? I don't have any personal relationship with God. Where is it? It's because we think too much about a pledge many, many years ago as if that were the only thing when the main thing of life is the ongoing tending of any important relationship that we have, including our most important relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's quiet in here. But that would be a good time to say amen. What did Jesus say in John 15? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. A branch disconnected from the vine withers away and dies. And then apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, what we're invited to is to be the branch connected to the vine, and the only time to do that is right now. It's today. 
The branch needs the vine every day. It needs the life-giving sap of the vine. It needs the water to come from the vine to have any vitality today. We're invited to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And the only day that we have to seek God's kingdom and righteousness is not yesterday, it's not tomorrow, it's, it's today. It's today. This is the only day we got. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And so we pray each and every day, God, would you make me aware of your presence right now? And then finally, I would encourage you to pray, God, make me bold with compassion. In this episode, you see Jesus at the beginning in the synagogue along with his disciples. And what are they doing in the synagogue? They're reading the scriptures. They're praying. They're singing psalms from the Old Testament. They're enjoying a very long time with God, usually several hours. Deep in the scriptures, deep in prayer. Then from the synagogue, they go out into the world where he basically runs a mobile hospital for the broken and beaten down. Then after that... He goes back into presence with God. Then after that, he goes out and he touches one woe with leprosy. You see what he does after he is in the synagogue. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law and she's ill. And notice Jesus' response. Well, when she's ill, notice his compassion. He went to her. He took her hand. He touched her. He didn't have to touch her. And he helped her up. Then he goes to the man with leprosy and he looks at him in the eyes and he says, Be clean. And this basic pattern of life is the one that Jesus gives to us. We talk about Jesus being the truth, and we should. We talked about that last week. He is absolutely the truth, but he's also the way. And you must look at his pattern of life to see your pattern of life. He's the way. And his pattern of life is what we've been talking about on these love to one love the one cards that we would pray on a daily basis. God, make me aware of your presence. God, give me compassion, soften my heart for those around me. God, give me boldness to whoever it is that you want me to reach out to. This was simply the pattern of Jesus' life. Into the presence of the Father and then back out into the world to make a difference there. And for you, it probably won't be caring for someone with leprosy unless you go to India. But it will be caring for that sick shut-in down the street. That wonderful example that Kay gave us this morning. For you, it may not be caring specifically for the sick in the hospital, but perhaps it's identifying a coworker who's struggling, who is ill, who's lost a loved one, and so you go out of your way to say, God, give me the courage, the capacity, the compassion to love that one right now. This is what we're invited to. This is just normal, everyday Christianity. Into the Father's presence, out into the world with power. I did this word study last week on compassion. And seven different times it says in the Gospels, Jesus looked at them with compassion. Jesus touched someone with compassion. Not to mention the many times that he does what he does here with Peter's mother-in-law. He just looks at that person and touches them and holds them. It actually uses the word in the Greek, splegizomai, compassion, splegizomai, which means he's gut-wrenched. That's what it means. It's like his, his insides are overturned toward this person though, that he's looking at that has leprosy in front of him. He's gut-wrenched for, for that person. When was the last time you were gut-wrenched for someone who was lost without Jesus? 
This is the character of God. This is what he invites us to. This is the strength of our God. It's not a machismo strength. It's not a macho man strength. It's not a, let me show you all my leather jacket strength. It's not a, I can bend rebar with my bare hands kind of strength. It's a compassionate kind of strength. That he goes near to someone with leprosy. That he's strong enough to defy the crowd so he could be alone with God. And then out of that, he has strength to courageously go to those who are harassed and, hel and, and helpless. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd to go love them right where they are. This is the strength of God our Savior. And it's the strength that he invites us toward as well as we spend time with him. on the screen and on your outline you'll see this little diagram and I just want to encourage you to think through this and it's a real simple diagram that describes the Christian life you go into the cross you go back to the vine you receive his nourishment and out of that you go into the world with power you're in the world for a while and you get tired we all do Jesus got tired too then you go back to connect with Christ again then you go back into the world and this is the life-giving, joyous, spirit-filled, missional Christianity that we are all invited to. And it begins with this beautiful prayer. God, would you help me to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? <laughs> God, would you, would you slow me down? Would you slow me down? That I could have time with you. And that perhaps there might even be a little bit more margin to have some time for other people who need you. Would you give me eyes for those who are the least and the last and the lost? You've got to know that the perspective of Jesus is to have compassion on you, whoever you are today. You have skid mark, if you have skid marks in your life, great, so do I. Lots of them. And Jesus has compassion on you. You see, Jesus' compassion toward partiers, toward the sexually immoral, toward prostitutes, toward tax collectors, toward Jews, toward Arabs, toward Greeks toward men, toward women, you name it. And it comes from dwelling in the presence of the Father. God, make me aware. God, show me your presence. God, make me bold with compassion for what you want done in this world. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are uh, the greatest teacher who's ever lived. You're not only the Son of God, but you're also the one who instructs us on how we would live. And like any good teacher, you not only say it, you show it. And we praise you, God, for your model. I'm not sure what's in our hearts here this morning, but I sense that it's very possible God is whispering to you about something today. Maybe God is whispering to you that you, you really haven't developed any habit or you've lost the habit of setting apart time to be alone with him. And today is a day to choose that again. Or maybe God is whispering to you that you haven't really practiced normal Christianity, which includes reaching out. And today is the day to receive that conviction. 
So Father, wherever we are today, we invite you to speak to us, and we ask God that you would give us help, that it would move from our brains to our hearts, and that you would prepare us to engage once again the wonderful gift of prayer this week and through this series. We'll be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name.